0: Okay, is that working okay thank you well, we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 3 and while you're turning there I'd like to say a special word of thanks to Pastor Jim for filling in last week so we could get to enjoy the uh, wedding of our, our grandson down in Val Wyoming and then uh, a special word of welcome to Steve and Karen I saw them slip in here uh, all the way from Egypt and uh So, uh, uh, for those of you that aren't aware of it, Steve was pastor here for a while and uh, came back to visit us today. So, uh, thanks for coming. Also, I'm well aware, Gary's already mentioned it, so I don't have to, that today is Father's Day. And uh, I also realize that the majority of our fathers are just about close to perfect, so I don't need to give a Father's Day message. (laughs) So we're going to continue with with Ephesians here today. Okay. For this reason, I, Paul, uh, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. And by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the grace of God, the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, in order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are for your glory. Back in August of 1799, Napoleon returned from a rather unsuccessful attempt to conquer Egypt. Came home, many thought of failure, and yet there was one man that had traveled with him that found something of that was very valuable. He came back with what was today is known as the Rosetta Stone it was the key to unlocking the mysteries of the Egyptian hieroglyphics it had been a mystery for centuries what they meant or how to read them and suddenly they had within their hands the way to interpret them there life can be a mystery at times you ever puzzle over what in the world is God doing why are these events happening and so forth? Sometimes God reveals the answers to mysteries in his word. Sometimes we're going to wait till glory to find out what he is doing and, and, and what he has in mind for us here. Scripture today, our scripture today shares a mystery. Or Paul shares a mystery with us. we gonna look at what is that mystery and then how does it relate to us today? So what is the, the mystery here? A mystery in Scripture is not one of those who'd done it novels. I know some of you enjoy reading them. We have over the years enjoyed reading Agatha Christie, and then my wife got into writing some of those novels and so forth. But uh, that's not the idea behind the word mystery in, in Scripture here. The word simply means a truth that has not yet fully been revealed up until this particular point in time. Uh, the elements, many of them were there in the Old Testament, but they just didn't know how to put the pieces together. We have the same thought come out of 1 Peter chapter 2, or excuse me, chapter 1, where he says, And to this salvation the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiring, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them ...was indicating, as he predicted, the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. They couldn't put together in their mind the two comings of Christ. They couldn't put together the fact that he was coming, as Isaiah 53 said, to suffer. And then they read much of Isaiah where it details the, the coming of the king and so forth. And, and how do you put that together? It wasn't until Christ came that that mystery was fully revealed to us today. There are other mysteries... That haven't been revealed to us. Do you ever puzzle? Do you ever wonder what is heaven going to be like? We, we have a, a glimpse of heaven in the Book of Revelation. We we have ideas in the back of our mind, but do we really understand what it's going to be like to be with the Lord in glory? In First in Corinthians chapter two, Paul said, "I hath not seen nor ear heard the things that God hath prepared for those who love Him." So, it in some ways. Heaven itself remains a mystery to us. It hasn't been fully revealed yet. And I think God is gracious in that. Uh, If if we really knew all that heaven held for us, would we be able to stay here? Or or would we want to go on home and be with Christ in in glory there? So God in his grace has kept that mystery from us today. But what's involved in the mystery that we have here? Uh, and, And Again, another mystery was, why was Paul in prison? He had spent so much time in prison. And I think one of the revelations of that mystery is in prison, God was able to visit with him. He was able to meditate on the scripture. He was able to ponder what was going on. And he was able to receive this revelation from God. So the new mystery here involves, first of all, a new dispensation. He speaks here of a stewardship or a dispensation that word in Greek is a combination of two words. And it, some of your translations will translate it dispensation. Some of it, uh, your translations will put it stewardship. The, the word literally means the management of a household or the management of a business. You know, sometimes you see those signs when you walk into a store under new management. That, that's the idea that this word has in, in mind here. There are many several dispensations given in scripture they are different ways in which god has governed the affairs of mankind down through the centuries there and paul or, or saint augustine was the one who said distinguish the ages and scriptures will harmonize and so as as we read through the old testament and we look at the different ages there that god has given we can see the hand of God at work down through the centuries. And Paul is revealing here a new dispensation. God is doing something new at at this point in time. It has become what we would call today the age of grace. We are no longer under the dispensation of law. We're no longer under the the principles of the law. We are under under the discipline of grace. That's good for us to keep in mind. I I think of a, a couple in our first church that uh, she came down with cancer, and before she was going from Lillooet down to Vancouver to have an operation, she asked if the elders of the church would come and, and anoint her with oil and pray, and we were happy to do that, and we, we met with them at their home. She went, and the surgeon performed the operation, and uh, she came home, and so her neighbors were involved in a cult. And they came over and visited with her, and they said, you know, if you really want to be healed, you got to get back to the Old Testament and and get back to the the pattern that's given there. So they put her on a special diet and did several things based on the Old Testament law there. And several months later, she was declared cured. Uh, The the surgeon could find no uh, indication of any cancer left in, in her system there. The sad thing was... She didn't give the Lord credit for the healing. She didn't give the uh, doctor credit for the healing. She gave the diet that they put her on the credit for her healing there. And I thought, what a tragedy. Uh, uh, and I and I shared with her at the time, you know, if you're going to go back and live under the Old Testament law, your obligation, your obligation is to keep it all. In, in James chapter 2, it says if we keep the whole law and yet offend in one point we're guilty of violating the law we're, we're lawbreakers there and, and so i said you know if you're going to go back that direction you've got to keep the whole thing she wasn't quite ready to do that but she wasn't quite ready to give the lord the, the, the glory for what had happened e- either there and it's important to know that that god's moral principles do not change um, murder under the law was forbidden guess what it's still forbidden today uh, and yet there are many things that have changed. Under the law, you had the the privilege of demanding an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And yet when you come down to the New Testament, Jesus in Matthew chapter five, thirty-eight says, hey, there's a change coming. You need to learn to forgive. You, 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 not to demand your, your personal rights there, but uh, you're, you're to live by a new way. Because you're under, as he says here in verse 5, you're under new management. We're under the age of grace today. So it was a new dispensation. It was also a new relationship that he's talking about here. If you read the Old Testament, you're struck with the fact that he's primarily dealing with the Jewish people. the, The nation of Israel there. Even up to the point where Christ was about to go to the cross... In John chapter 12, we have some Greeks that came and said, we would see, we'd like to see Jesus. And he didn't give them that opportunity that day. Uh, uh, he went on to explain, he said, unless a corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. What was he saying in that? He said, I have to go to the cross before I can effectively minister to the, the Gentile nations here. And, and so it, that, that a, a new relationship was coming under the age of grace. And that relationship involves, first of all, that we are, he said, fellow heirs. Romans picks up on that in Romans chapter 8 and says we are, uh, and I don't know if I got, you got that right? No, you copied my notes. You shouldn't copy my notes. (laughs) (laughs) It should be Romans 8 up there, 16 and 17. We are fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. Why? Because... We have become sons of God. We've been brought into the, the family of God. We are fellow heirs together with Christ. We were visiting with a, at, at uh, the rehearsal dinner for our son's wedding down in Powell, Wyoming. And, and as I was visiting with different ones, I, I visited with the father of the bride. i would never met him before. But we had a lot of things in common. He, he's a pastor as well, and so we had a, a good conversation. And, and as as we got ready to to leave, he said, "Tomorrow, we're going to be family." And I stopped to think about, yeah, we're, we're going to be family. We're going to our families are going to be joined together through our, in this case, our our grandson and his his daughter. We're, we're going to bring the two families together there we were going to be fellow heirs in in that sense there and and that's the idea that he has in mind here the the jews and the gentiles were brought together in christ into one body into the church of of jesus christ he goes on to say we're fellow members of of that body when we are born again we are born into the family of god We, we are are made into the 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 body of Jesus Christ. We have a new citizenship now. And and as I think about that, again, it's a familiar concept. Uh, Elsewhere, he speaks of the fact of uh, we have one body, many members. We have the eyes. We have the hands. We have the feet and so forth. Uh, and, And yet I wonder sometimes, do we forget that? How many times do we think everybody should be just like me? Everybody should be forced into the same mold that that I'm forced into. Uh, And yet he said, we're we're fellow members, but we have different roles, different functions. Uh, We're not all the hand. We're not all the eye and and so forth. And the same thing is true in the church. God may lead one person one way, another person the other way. And if, if we try to force everybody into our mold, we're going to get frustrated. We need to let God be God in our brother's life and in our sister's life there. Uh, We're we're members of the body, yes, but we are also different as well. And then we're fellow partakers of the promise. There are, as we look at that and as we think of what he's saying there, there is no such thing as a second-class citizen in the family of God. We all come the same way. We all come through grace. We we all come through the the work of Jesus Christ in our behalf. Uh, I, I think of when Christ died on the cross, the veil was rent in twain. There was no partition left there in the temple. The Jew and Gentile alike came the same way to God. And we need to recognize that if we're brothers and sisters in Christ, we have come the same way. I saw a a sad example of some of the artificial barriers that we sometimes create years ago. After we left our first church in Lillooet, I went back to school for a year and then uh, was told by the immigration officials, you're no longer welcome in Canada because you stayed out more than a year. And uh, so we pastored here in the States. But about 12 years later, we did get a work visa and we went back for one year to to help in the the Christian school that we had started in, in the church there. And while we were there, one of the men invited us over to his house for for dinner. I don't know whether it was Chris or his wife that invited us, but somehow we got invited over to his house. Now, we didn't know them uh, when we were there. They, They had come to know Christ after we left and had been brought into the church and so forth. But he wanted to get to know us, so we went over to the house. As we were visiting and getting to know Chris, he said with sadness in his voice, he said, I've been told that the most I can ever hope to be in the Christian life is maybe a Sunday school teacher of kids. Now, if God calls you to be a Sunday school teacher, I trust you don't look down on that. I, I trust that you welcome that with, with, with joy because you're dealing with souls that, uh, that are, are, are eternal there. And what a tremendous privilege that is. But uh, he had been told because of his past, he could never hope to be an officer in the church could never hope to, to, to work much in, in the church. And his problem was that before he came to Christ, he had been divorced. And uh, some in that particular church felt if, if they were divorced, you're a second-class citizen. You don't quite measure up. And uh, I had the privilege of assuring, Chris, I, that's not quite what Scripture says. In Psalm 103, it says, as far as the east is from the west... That's how far he's removed the transgression from us. And in Jeremiah 31, he says, your sins and your iniquities, I will remember no more. He had been changed. He had been transformed. He had been brought into the family of God. He was a fellow partaker of the promise. He didn't have to walk around thinking, I'm a second-class citizen. He belonged to Jesus Christ. And, and uh, Paul said, this is all part of the new mystery that, that he's revealing to us there. Then the obvious question is, now that that secret's been revealed, what are we to do with it? Uh, You ever notice how hard it can be to keep a secret? You know, somebody says, don't tell anybody. What's the first thing you want to do? You you think of somebody you you, you really want to share it with. Now, now they're not going to tell anybody else, so it's okay to share it with. No, if you've made a promise, you made a promise. Uh, I I think when I think of this, I think of the song years ago, written by Don Francisco. It's entitled, I've Got to Tell Somebody. Any of you remember that song? A few of you do, yeah. It's the story of a man in in the New Testament that's been healed by the Lord, and then the Lord comes, or Jesus comes along and says, don't tell anybody about it. Can you imagine how difficult that must have been? Here God has worked a tremendous miracle in your life, And, and here Jesus is saying, don't tell anybody. And he had his reason for that. But, uh, you know, if if that had happened to you, the first thing you'd want to do is tell everybody what what God had had done for you. Well, in this case, when it comes to the mystery here, the the secret that God has revealed through Paul, he encourages us, first of all, to share it. Let others know what God has done in our life. Paul is the example there in verse 8. He said, to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. God had worked in his life. He felt he had a responsibility to share that with the, with others, whether it was Jew or Gentile. didn't matter to the Apostle Paul. And, and notice he describes himself here as the chiefest of sinners. What is he saying in that? He, he uses that in Timothy as well. I think he's saying if God... Can work in the heart of somebody like the Apostle Paul, God can work in your life as well. God can work in mine. If He's able to transform Paul, He's able to transform us as as well. Sometimes we don't think He can. I I remember growing up in school, the the thing I hated the most was when the teacher asked a question. I, I was. Fortunate that my last name ends with W. Back in those days, you were seated alphabetically. I could slide down in my chair and uh, go unnoticed if I wanted to. I I hate it to be put on the spot where I had to speak in 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 public. There. Now you might find that hard to believe today. Uh, The fact is, God has changed. God has worked in my life and and brought me to to that point. If God can do that for me. He can do that for you. you. You ever feel inadequate? You ever feel like, oh, I can't share my faith with my neighbor? Uh, what what if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer for? Oh, they probably will ask you a question you don't know the answer for. That's okay. Uh, I don't know is an answer. And you can always go back and find out the answer and, and, and share it with them. But if God calls you, he's able to work through you. Uh, Any of you getting a little anxious about, Vacation Bible School starts next week. (laughs) Are are you ready for it? Are are you beginning to feel, why did I volunteer to do this? (laughs) uh, Wait a minute. If, If God has laid that on your heart to do it, guess what? God's going to give you the strength. God's going to give you the power and the ability to do what he has asked you to do. Uh, If he could do it with the chiefest of sinners, he can do it with with us as well today. We can share the unfathomable riches, he says, of Jesus Christ. Do you ever stop to think that you've been entrusted with the best news ever, the best news that the world needs to hear? Uh, If you found a cure today for AIDS or cancer or Ebola, what would you want to do with it? You'd want to broadcast it to the world. You'd want everybody to know. uh, Well, I I, I would hope you would want everybody to know. You might want to get one of the drug companies to to pay you for it. But uh, we'd want to share it. We've been entrusted with the news of eternal life. Do we have a desire to communicate that, to share it with others? I, I remember years ago we were living in Three Hills, Alberta, working amongst the Indian people there. One of the students at Prairie Bible Institute while we were there was uh, a man. He was uh, had Indian blood in him. He wasn't full blood. But he, he came from a, a reservation up in uh, the northern part of British Columbia. I don't know what his particular tribe was. But he had accepted Christ as Savior. He, he had been a, uh, well, I guess the easiest way to put it, he had been a hippie for years. Came to know the Lord and had a desire to go back and share Christ with his own people. And so he felt, I, I need to get some training if I'm going to do this. He was in Bible school. And while he was there, he heard that a man was coming from Oregon to his reservation. And he was going to teach the people all about the peyote cult, uh, cult uh, how, how you, they could take this uh, drug and, and what it was going to do in their life and so forth. And he felt he needed to go back there and stand against that uh, the group coming in into his, his reservation. So several people got together, and they provided an air t- a ticket for him to fly over, and, and he went, and he sat in on the first meeting. At the end of the meeting, the man asked for questions, and, and all kinds of people had questions about, this drug and what it was going to do and so forth and and when things quieted down Al stood up and he said I just have one question he said how is this going to solve the sin question and this man stopped in his tracks and he looked at him he said the sin he said I don't have any answer for the sin question and Al said I do I have Jesus Christ and this is we, we don't need your drug. We need Jesus Christ. And he used it as a springboard to teach or to share the, the gospel message. We have the greatest news available today. We have the news of salvation. We have the news of eternal life. Are we sharing it? Are, are we giving it to others so that they can come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? And then he, he doesn't stop there. If he stopped there, that would be great. But he says, I want you also to reveal it. What he's suggesting in that is we are to live in such a way that somebody looking at us gets a glimpse of Jesus Christ. That somebody looking at us, whether it's in the work world or home or in the school, that they would be able to see something about Jesus Christ through us. He says we are to reveal here the manifold or the variegated grace of, of God here, the wisdom of God here. That word means many-faceted. You ever look at some of those rocks that women like to, to wear? Uh, they're, they're cut with a multitude of facets on it so they can reflect the light and so forth. Well, that, That's the idea that he has in mind. We are here to reflect the love of God the grace of God, the the light of the gospel. We're here to reflect that to somebody else that that needs to see it here. Not only that, but he says we are to reflect that to the angels as well. He talks about the powers that be, the, um, the powers and rulers in the heavenly places. What is he saying in that? He's saying that you and I are object lessons even to the angels today. I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't like to be an object lesson, (laughs) but that's what we are. We're an object lesson to the world in which we live, and somehow the angels themselves are learning something. They're getting a glimpse somehow of God's love, of God's grace that they cannot get any other way. They are learning that through the church and and through you as a part of the the church, and we can wonder what in the world do they see in us, Uh, uh, and yet... uh, God says he's teaching them something because of the way in which you and I are living and so forth. And not only are they watching, but so is the world. Uh, years ago, I cut a clipping out of Leadership Magazine. It's entitled, Atheists Admire Christians. It was written by Roy Hattersley. He was a columnist for the United Kingdom Guardian. He was a very outspoken atheist. He had nothing to do whatsoever with Christianity until Katrina struck Hurricane Katrina came and this is what he wrote in his column he said uh, he he looked at he watched the Christian organizations that stepped in to help the people that were suffering there he said notable by their absence were teams of rationalist societies free-thinking clubs atheist associations the sort of people who scoff at religious intellectual absurdity, According to Hattersley, he said, Christians are the people most likely to take the risk and make the sacrifices involved in helping others. He said, civilized people do not believe that drug addiction and male prostitution offend against divine ordinances, but those who do are the men and women most willing to change the bandages, replace the sleeping bags, and probably most difficult of all, argue without a trace of impatience that the time has come for some serious medical treatment. The only possible conclusion, he said, is that faith comes with a packet of moral imperatives that while they do not condition the the attitude of all believers, they influence enough to make Christians morally superior (laughs) to atheists like me. What an admission that was. He looked at what the church was doing in the world and he said we should be out there doing it and we're not we're not and i wonder today as somebody looks at Chawila evangelical free church group of believers that are gathered here do they see something different do they see a glimpse of jesus christ do the men and women that you work with, or interact with, whether it's in school or work or, or wherever it may be, do they see something in you that reveals Jesus Christ in a new way to them? Are, are we revealing the fact that God is a God of love, of grace, of mercy? And are we showing that to the world in which we live? Now, I'm not sure that, how much we can influence the angels because uh, I don't know about you, but I've never seen an angel. They are with us, they are watching us, but uh, you know the world we can see, we can interact with. What kind of a job are we doing in sharing Jesus Christ with those that desperately need to see him? As we think about all of that, what effect does this mystery have on us today? It should do several things. Two things I'm going to give you here this morning, we'll, we'll look at more next week, but uh, it sh- first of all should give us Confidence, Paul says. Having this confidence, he says uh, in verse 12, we have boldness and confident access through him. As I think of that, I think of the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4, 15 and 16. It speaks of the fact that we have a high priest in heaven that ministers to us. He said, Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. We have the privilege of prayer, we, we have the opportunity to come into his presence today. And as we do so, he says, we experience a measure of his grace. He assures us that his grace is sufficient for us today. I don't care what the trial may be, what we're going through. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 speaks of the fact that his grace is sufficient. It's made, his, his power is made perfect in our weakness there. The only thing I think that stops his grace from working in our lives Is Pride. You ever had pride get in your way in life? I was thinking of that last week. We were traveling back to uh, Billings, uh, flying back to Billings, and and I was wondering how in the world am I going to do the walking that it's going to take to go through the airport and so forth and get on the plane and so forth, and and our kids came up with the bright idea. You need to call ahead and have a wheelchair ready for you. (laughs) And I thought, no, <laughs> I'm not going to have somebody push me around in a wheelchair. Uh, uh, and somebody said, "You know, you you got a choice. You can either suffer, or you can go. You can have somebody push you around in a wheelchair." So reluctantly, I said I would do it. And we got to Spokane, and uh, I was already hurting by the time I got there. So I said, "Okay, let's get a wheelchair." Uh, it was God's grace at work in our life. You, you know. I I stood there at the ticket counter, and I looked across the way, and here's this long line of people waiting to go through security. And I thought, I'm never going to be able to stand there that whole time. I just couldn't physically do it. And then along comes the wheelchair, and uh, the the lady that's pushing the wheelchair looks like she should be in a wheelchair. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, I should be pushing her. She shouldn't be pushing me. And, yes, she takes that wheelchair, and before we knew it, we were in the front of the line. She bypassed the whole line. We went through security just like that. I thought, hey, this is great. <laughs> uh, and then we get to Portland, and I think I, I can walk from the plane to the gate. And, and uh, there was no wheelchair sitting there, so I, I walked. I probably shouldn't have, but I I walked. As soon as we got in there, though, we've got a wheelchair. By, by that time, I was finished. And, and I'm sitting there in the wheelchair. Well, what, what, what are we going to do? We've got three hours in Portland. I can't walk around and see anything. When the pilot of the plane comes off, and he says, have you ever been to Portland Airport? I said, well, it's been quite a few years since we've been there. He said, well, let me show you around. Turned out that our pilot that from Spokane to Portland was Eric. and and uh so he he took us on a tour of of the the portland airport and and, you know he he put it rather nicely he said you know when you get off the plane he he very graciously carried my bag down the steps uh, off of the plane he said i was going to call for a wheelchair but he said i didn't know whether that would hurt your pride or not (laughs) whoa (laughs) I I think the Lord was saying something in in that moment there. His grace is sufficient, but do we let pride keep us from experiencing his grace? Do we come with boldness? Do we come expecting God to work in our life? Do we have that confidence today? And then it should also give us courage. Notice verse 13, he says, don't lose heart. Don't give up. Uh, Life is not a bed of roses. We all have trials in our lives. We we all have areas of tribulation going on. We all have pain at times. Uh, I I think we need to remember, as Paul wrote this, he was in prison for his faith, not knowing whether he was going to come out dead or alive uh, out of that prison experience there. And yet I like what he said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. He said, the things that happened to me have happened for the furtherance of the gospel. He knew somehow that God was at work in his life, even in that prison experience. And I would suggest for you today, if you're going through a trial, you're going through a test, it just may be that God has a special purpose, that he wants to do something in your life. Years ago, when we went to Ekalaka, Montana, our first Sunday there, there was a man that came in, had a mask on his face. Uh, He was still banished up. Uh, Several months before we came, he had gotten involved in a prairie fire. He woke up in the middle of the night. He smelled smoke, and it it, was one of those years when it was exceptionally dry. And he thought he was a rancher. He thought, I better go out and make sure everything is okay. So he he and his daughter got into a pickup. They drove out. They found the fire, and uh, they tried to stop it, but they couldn't. So they get back to the truck, and they're going to get out of there, and the truck wouldn't start. And... uh, the fire is coming closer and closer, so he, he pushes his daughter out the side door, and he gets out the other door. And, and in that kind of a situation, if you run through the fire, you're safe. But he got turned around, and he ran for about a quarter of a mile in the fire. And uh, so he something like 80% of his body was covered with burns. They flew him to Salt Lake City, and he was there for several months, uh, at first, they didn't expect him to live, but eventually he, he, he did come around. But, you know, very early in that trial, Whitey said, if one person comes to Jesus Christ as a result of this, it's worth it. The pain is worth it. It was several months later that, uh, well, he, he was gone almost a year. Uh, during that time, all of his neighbors came together, and they did his, his farm work for him. With harvest time, they all came in with their combines, uh, spring planning, They were there for him. And, and his uncle was about 70 years of age. He had a, a ranch down the road from him. And as he watched this, he said, if that's Christianity, because the ones that were coming in were Christians, he said, if, if that's Christianity, I need to become a Christian. And one of the men led him to the Lord that day. You know what? If you talk to Whitey today, he would say it was worth Every day of pain that I went through, to know that my uncle's going to be with me in glory. We should have that kind of courage when we don't always understand what God is doing, but we know that in the mysteries of life, God is there. God has a purpose, God has a plan for us, and that plan is good. Jeremiah 29 11 speaks of the fact that He has a plan for us, it's for our welfare, it's for our good. We can trust in our Savior. As we think of the mystery that he's revealed here, praise the Lord for the grace of God. But uh, while he has revealed the secret to a degree, we don't fully understand it. Do you understand the grace of God today? We've seen a measure of it, but do we fully understand it? I don't think so. I think God's still working in our hearts and lives, and he's working through us even though we may not fully understand it. So today, as you look at your life, what kind of circumstances are you going through? Is it one of those mountaintop experiences where everything's going great in your life and and, uh, no trials? If that's the case, praise the Lord. Give him thanks for that. But I hasten to say probably down the road you're going to have a trial. You're not going to live on the mountaintop the rest of your life. There's going to be struggles that come your way. If you're in that valley today, praise the Lord he's walking through that valley with you. He knows what he is doing. He is going to use that to somehow reveal his grace, his love, his glory to somebody else. Are we willing to pray, Lord, in the midst of our circumstances this week, whether it's good or whether it's a trial, Lord, be glorified through us. Lord, we want you to be blessed or to be a blessing to somebody through our life and the circumstances of our life today. We don't always like to pray that way because let's face it, we like things our way, don't we? Are we willing to say, Lord, do whatever you think is best so that somebody else gets a glimpse of Jesus Christ through us this week? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've made us A part of your family. Thank you for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that has made salvation possible for us. Lord, thank you for the mystery that you've revealed here through your word, the mystery of your church and what you're doing through the church. Thank you that we can be a part of your work. We sometimes wonder why in the world you would choose to to use us, but you said you did. And so we thank you for that. Lord, in the midst of our circumstances this week, Whether it's a trial or whether it's a blessing, help us to react in such a way that somebody watching us will get a glimpse of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Now, I think it's almost ironical here today. Uh, My message is I've got a secret and Lois chose for us. It is no secret. (laughs) And uh, yes, it was a secret what God has done in the past. But let's share that secret with everybody else. <laughs> Gary?